Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Dive Living Podcast. Uh, welcome back to another edition of the Die Living Podcast brought to you by Softlead. Uh, today, we have with us Brian and Brooke. I'm not going to forget to introduce Brian again because I know he was super sad last time. <laughs> like, my feelings are not, they're malleable. Like, I, if you, if you cut me, do I not cry, sir? <laughs> <laughs> An ogre has layers. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, today we are going to be talking about cooking, uh, particularly, um, you know, how, how, I guess, how we learned to cook, if you can even call it that, how we are continuing to learn to cook, if you want to call it that. Yep. Um, and I'm even thinking of a, what I think, funny cooking story from back in my former life that maybe we'll share. Oh, Stay tuned. (laughs) Stay tuned (laughs) for that little nugget. Right? I feel like that was a really shitty tease. But uh, that's shitty teases are okay. Right. Every once in a while. So I I don't want to build it up too much because maybe it's not that funny, you know? It's going to be the best story. Be the greatest story Softly'd ever told. (laughs) Um, In any event, I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that we're seeing from. A lot of people, and one of the things that we have consistently tried to get feedback on with the nutrition program is, are people comfortable with like the amount of variety in cooking that's required for prepping meals? Um, how much cooking do they want to do? And you know, what is their is their kind of knowledge base? And I was actually thinking about this last night. Um, knowing that we were coming in to do this podcast today and hadn't really firmed up a topic. Um, because when I got home, you know, my wife was like roasting a chicken and like roasting Brussels sprouts. And I was thinking about how what we do in my house as far as like day-to-day dinner time meals is like radically different than when I was growing up. Um, and I would venture to say is probably like radically different from – a lot of households. Oh, for uh, sure. And so, you know, especially for, for me, um, I grew up like, it was kind of a weird situation. My mom had like a lot of stomach issues, so she didn't really cook a like wide variety of food. And man, I remember like, I remember in junior high, um, my mom and like she had made basically like spaghetti and ketchup, you know, it was like <laughs> not really ketchup, but like plain tomato sauce. And Skeddy. Yeah, exactly. Butter and ketchup. Right. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Like my parents got in an argument. My dad was like, I'm not eating this shit anymore. You know, my mom was like, fuck you. I'm not cooking this shit anymore. Um, my parents were happily married, by the way. For, sure. Sounds like <laughs> it. <Yeah. laughs> Sounds like it. Um, keep going with that narration you told yourself. Right. Well, all right. So, <laughs> man, I'm going to keep going down these like little, <laughs> little tributaries. But uh you know, I think as part of the culture that I grew up in, you know, argument was like a, a, a sign of love. Sure. Um, of love and friendship. So, in fact, when my brother went to college, his roommate from rural Wisconsin went out to dinner with my folks and their best friend, whose son was my brother's best friend, also going to University of Wisconsin. And he was like, man, I've never seen people that like each other so much argue like all the fucking time. It's okay, man. It's just what we do. Anyway. Fair enough. Was that the story? That was not the story. Okay. Um, Just checking. But uh, in any event, like for basically six years from like middle of junior high through high school, like my mom refused to cook. She (laughs) did not fucking cook. And like every night my dad was coming home from dinner or from work, he would call us before he left work. It was like, what do you guys want to eat tonight? which was essentially like what restaurant am I stopping at to like pick food up on the way home. Um, and so six years then like going into college, like you were ill equipped. Yeah. I mean, not only did I not know how to cook, but I hadn't even been around anyone like working in a kitchen, you know? Um, and so, you know, going to college, like 
you know, you had the dorm cafeteria, like George Foreman. It, yeah, George Foreman. Um, you know, we learned to grill living in Wisconsin. Like, you know, coming back from winter break every year, one of our friends would be like, "Here's forty pounds of venison," like from my uncle that used my you know six deer tags over winter break and doesn't have room to store all its meat. So, you know, we were kind of forced uh, partly out of budget and partly out of like the food that was around to learn how to cook a little bit. Um, and then, you know, getting out of school, was like, man, into the gray wide open. And eventually, you know, frozen pizzas or like hot bar from Whole Foods kind of only goes so far and gets expensive and makes you feel shitty. So it was time to time to learn how to do some stuff. And it was, uh, I don't know, it's one of those things, I, I guess it's just like everything else, right? Like, it's really easy once you know how to do it. And, you know, on the on the backside, it seems really simple. But when you don't know where to start, you know, there's like no, oh, one, in the, yeah. there's no one in the grocery store, like, teaching you how to do this. No. And, and I'm old enough that well, there wasn't fucking YouTube back then. So. I, I, I grew up, so my mother is a simple lady from West Texas. She's a creature of habit. And she's not a creature of luxury. She does not care. Like... There's a, a story that I, I tell about my mom. Like my, she told my dad that she wanted a tennis bracelet, mm-hmm. and she pointed out the one that she wanted in like the J.C. Penney catalog. I believe it was service merchandise. Actually, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. You like ordered it, and then it came out on the conveyor. Exactly. So it, it was like what a fucking weird name for a store, uh, too, right? Yeah, man. There's a reason it's no longer in service. I know, but I mean, like <laughs> I've never heard of it. Someone, yeah, it's like, it like a J.C. Penney. Yeah, but. It, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, so anyways, so my dad's like, man, like she, she very rarely asked for anything. And my dad's a gift giver. That's Mm -hmm. like one of the ways he expresses love is giving gifts. My mom could give a shit about gifts. So she asked for this thing. He's like, man, this is my chance. I'm going to hot rod this thing. So he he sees the tennis bread that she wants, which was very modest. He's like, well, I'm going to go to a jeweler and I'm going to find one that's like like this, but it's upgraded, you know, better diamonds, you know, maybe a little bit larger, maybe different, met- not, not white gold, but platinum or something like that. And it was 20x the price of the one that she wanted. Um, and he bought it for her and gave it to her and she cried and loved it. And then she was at a Bunko game. Again, she's a simple lady. And one of her rich friends like sees that and is like, oh, my God. What did you do to deserve that? She's like this this bauble. This is you can get this on the on the conveyor belt. The service merchandise. <laughs> She's like, oh Barbara, you know, like patting her on the head. <laughs> no, no. So my mom started intercepting receipts. From the credit card bill because she's she's like you you know she's like she, my dad handled all the finances she just like okay she started intercepting that stuff and like saw how much it actually was and was like demanded that he take it back he's like no this no there's zero percent chance that I'm gonna wear this thing like now that I know how much it's worth like I'm not okay like wearing it out like it shows off too much wealth like I wanted the one that I said I wanted that was it so translating that to food she had like. The eight dishes, right? Yeah. That was it, man. So there was like taco soup, which is her like browning meat, putting taco seasoning in there and like pouring like a can of hominy and a couple of cans <laughs> of kidney beans and like a thing of chicken stock. And it's like, it's taco soup. Right. Um, and she had like shake and bake pork chops. That was a big part of my growing up, like overcooked shake and bake pork chops. <laughs> right. Like, man, if it's not white edge to edge, it's not, you're not, <laughs> it's not done. Same thing with chick- chicken breast. I mean, Every every meal was nutritious and edible, but it wasn't like fine dining. I didn't really learn. And I didn't she didn't know cooking techniques. She just knew these like eight or nine things that she could pull off. She'd steam vegetables or whatever. But and that was cooking. I mean she she did it, but I didn't learn anything. So when I was in college and again a similar situation to you, I didn't know how to cook. I could I didn't have the tools to do taco I didn't want to do taco soup every night. And uh Basically, I started learning how to cook out of a combination of the, the the need to woo women in a cheap way and and poverty. You know, it's like that's so smart though. Going going out to going out to dinner was too expensive Dude. for Brian. So it's so, like, hey, come over to my house and I'll make like salmon or something. Yeah, man, the best dates ever were like Italian cooking at the apartment. Oh yeah, know? 
yeah, a little candlelight. Yeah. So, and I was I was gonna also say you you mentioned YouTube. Like I grew up watching cooking shows. I loved to watch cooking shows before the Food Network. It was PBS. It was Jacques Pepin and Julia Child and stuff like that. But they never taught technique either. They taught no. assembly. Yep. And same with like Rachel Ray, right? It's like at no point does she break down the science of like. I'm browning this meat to do this to create. No, the they never show the cooking, like yeah. the, the parts that you need to see. You know, and some of the later Jacques Pepin stuff, where he like literally does a dish. There's one episode I saw about a year ago on YouTube that was him just doing omelets and multiple different omelet preparations, and then he talked about the science of it. He's like, "So I'm I'm doing this to get the to get the small curds. This is the French country style, and this is the regular style, and this is this." And, well, and eggs are like the hardest thing to cook, right? Oh, absolutely. But he talked about pan selection. He talked about utensil selection. He talked about salting. He talked about why you're doing this. Like all these things that you're like, and now like I, I can bang out all those. I went and like tried them all out, practiced them a little bit and I can bang them all out. But that's be, and I remember it, right? Because yep. now that I understand the basic underlying concepts, I can replicate it over and over. I'm not trying to like remember this rote memoriz- memorized list. You know, so if I mess something up, I can like bring it back home. Yep. You know, it's like landing an aircraft, right? You know, if you if all you know is like this one glide path and that's it, like the checklist, if the weather's up, you know, you, you can't land the plane. Well, that's a big difference, I think, between cooking and baking, right? Oh, yeah. Like, you yeah. know, cooking, as long as you understand the techniques and the tools that you're working with and the, the ingredients, you know, you can you have a lot of like artistic leeway, if you yeah, will. Yeah, hugely. You know. Baking, you can't be like, oh, I'm just going to double the amount of this ingredient and it's still going to turn out okay. No. So. <clears throat> a lot of epic baking fails that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's because, yeah, it's it's like because you look at, open up a good housekeeping or whatever and you see this like recipe for bread and everything's in volume measurements, like two cups of flour and a cup of the, and you're, man, ba- baking does, baking's too precise for that. Like yeah. if I bake, I've got like grams, mm-hmm. I've got the scale, I feel like a pot dealer, you know? Like, totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the old days. <laughs> well, I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, so Brooke, I know, you know, when when you first came on board, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that we, we had talked about, where, you know, you were saying like, man, I want to learn how to cook, you know, much better than I do now, which is not to say that like you're a shabby cook, because I think the stuff you're putting out is pretty awesome. Negative. Uh, she's good. Yeah. But, uh, you know, where did you get your... Where, where did you develop your knowledge and, you know, what do you see as far as kind of going through years of, you know, schooling for nutritionists? Man, that's like not even a sentence, but uh, going through years of schooling to become a nutritionist, um, you know, how much time is given to like learning how to cook, you know, learning how to create recipes and actually kind of take all that knowledge and like bring it to the plate yeah. Well, I feel like my story is very similar to both of both of you. Trying to f- pick up chicks? Um, not quite. <laughs> kind of similar, though. Um, no, but I, my mom, I guess, didn't cook at all. So I, I grew up in a house where you got to pick your box of mac and cheese or your frozen turkey pot pie or your quiche. And we ate the same thing over and over. And it was just like out of a frozen processed something, box or bag. Um, so I didn't have any cooking experience. And my Mimi, I love her, my Southern Belle Mimi has a book of all of our Southern recipes that I always would help her with on holidays and special occasions. And that's what kind of got me interested in cooking. Of course, you're like taking a stick of butter and like rubbing it all over the casserole dish to grease it and other unhealthy habits like that. But um, then I guess it was, well, in college, I thought like ramen was like the end all be all. And I mean, I was on a really tight budget. So I ate a lot of ramen and Chef Boyardee. And like you said earlier, I started to feel horrible, like migraines and just like gross. Um, so much so that I went and even saw a doctor and they were like, um, it's, it's what you're putting in your body. Ramen poisoning. Yeah, really. That's like what it was. They're like, you are, you're honestly just putting like crap in your body. And so you feel like crap. So that's when I got into nutrition and started learning and studying kind of how that affects your body and like what it really does. And I got really nerdy into the science, but they don't teach you really how to cook in school. We had one semester Actually, we had two, I guess, where we spent a little time in these huge test kitchens together and you would learn about the food science of like how to make a meringue and things that necessarily maybe weren't tied to nutrition. But like we got to learn about the food science interaction of like Millard Browning and um, 
that was really cool. But I feel like a lot of dietitians or people that study nutrition, we kind of have to like take an initiative to do it on our own. Um, and so I just started trial and error. It's funny. <laughs> Yeah, that was, it reminds me of my experience in college as an engineer, engineering student. I went, I studied electrical engineering and I want, I, I, like the second, it's the end of my second year. I was like, hey man, when are we going to like sling some solder? Like when, when am I going to see like a breadboard or some resistors or whatever? And they're like, well, no, you, you use the mesh theory to solve for the inductance <laughs> across this. And like, so are you training me and me, me to be an engineer or to manage the work of other engineers that know <laughs> right. what they're doing? Cause I don't feel like I know what I'm doing right now. Why is this circuit? Why is this capacitor in this circuit? Solve the problem. <laughs> <laughs> right. Tell me. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of similar. Yeah, it's like you're teaching the science behind it, why you should be eating certain stuff, the proportions you should be eating. But as far as actually like getting it from farm to table, like they don't teach you that execution. No. So you're just left to figure it out. <laughs> I, in college, uh, sophomore year, uh, these crackheads burned my dorm floor down. Is this and a story? This is not the story. <laughs> <laughs> I never should have said that. <laughs> and uh, we all were let out of our dorm like contracts or leases. We were given a three month or three week like moratorium for homework and tests. And they gave us all checks for the remainder of like the prorated balance for our dorm contracts. And it was like, here's your money. Like, go into the wild. So we all found basically like these like two month sublet leases, the 40 of us on this dorm floor. We rented five different apartments and we had three weeks with like nothing to do. I mean, yes, we were supposed to be going to class, but again, no tests, no homework for three weeks, like from the, I don't know, you know, Dean or whatever, the super Dean kind of on high professors were like, incredible. you know, it's like. Hey, I've got this piece of paper. No, no, that can't be true. No, I call the number on the back. You know, like it's that true. That sounds like one and of those like college urban theories or urban rumors, right? Yeah, right. exactly. Like, like no, 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 professor. No, no, like he I doesn't have to go to school because his roommate killed himself. Kind of thing. It's like no, yeah. that didn't happen. But it no, happened. it's like the movie version of like no, I'm allowed to be here. Like call the president. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, sure. Like sure. Dude, like White House. Can I help you? Um, so we threw a bunch of epic parties and basically wasted all the fucking money that was left. Naturally. If, of course. In fact, one of them was a 40s party. We bought 30 cases of Mickey's. And, uh. dude, 45 minutes. That party lasted like 45 minutes. Oh, I remember gosh. in college, you never had a party that short. Like 45 minutes into it, everyone was just like down for the count. Um, it was uh, <laughs> a race to the bottom. Yeah, yeah man. Literally. It, was, it was no good. But uh, the getting back to ramen... All we had money for at the end of that three-week period for basically the rest of the semester, we had like a number in our apartment, a number of cases of ramen and like two five-gallon buckets of country crock. And for 32 days straight, I ate ramen for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Sometimes in soup form, sometimes water, water softened. <laughs> Eventually, honestly, yeah. Uh, Sometimes water softened and then like stir fried and country crock with mm. seasoning. Um, yeah, add, the, do, add to the Do not recommend. <laughs> exactly. And uh, yeah, on top of all the other debauchery at the end of that period, I think was the the worst feeling I've I've ever ever been physically. So, and I was poisoned. You know, like you get sick enough on a certain type of alcohol, you're like, oh man, like I can never drink mm -hmm. tequila again. Well, was, it's always tequila. Yeah. No, I was like, uh, I, I actually like tequila. For me, I think it's more uh, like peppermint or cinnamon type stuff. Dragonberry you know, like rum. Goldschlager. Dragonberry rum. First <laughs> off, I didn't know that existed. It was super poor girl decisions. <laughs> that does not sound poor girl. That sounds bougie. Right. Dragonberry. <laughs> oh, it was horrible. I don't know what it is. I can see it going like. either way, like high end or kind of like Thunderbird, you know? Like yeah. Dragonberry. It depends on what the label looks like, you know? Like, like the Rumplemints, remember they had like Ugh. that chick in the steel bikini and like the polar bear. I think yeah. It was, it was, yeah. Um, I, anyway. Uh, you know, liquor is bad when you have to chill it to make right? it palatable. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was poisoned by ramen basically. Like up until a number of years ago, I couldn't, 
It was like I could not take the taste of ramen. Is that the title um, of your memoirs? Poisoned by ramen. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think the title of my memoirs will probably be "Asleep at the Wheel." But fair uh, enough. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, getting back to it. Um, yeah, kind of bring it back around. When I met my wife, her family had like literally never gone out. She was like, "We don't go out to eat." Really? We never go out to eat, and. The first time I went to go meet her parents, she was like, listen, my parents are really nervous about, like, meeting you and, like, cooking, um, partly because I'm Jewish and her parents were German, and they, were they like, were really nervous that I was going to, you know, think they were, like, these evil Nazis. And uh, she was like, we're going to go out to dinner. This is the first time my family's gone out to dinner in, like, 15 years. And this was just outside of Nashville. And we went to a Cheddar's, like in a mall. Oh, and <laughs> it was like they, you know, they picked a place. I mean, man, like bless, bless their kind hearts. Yeah. You know, this was kind of in their minds, like, all right, you know, like we're gonna, we're gonna impress the boyfriend. We're gonna go out somewhere nice, etc. Um, man, I wish that they had just cooked, but sure, it was cool. I mean, you know, Lisa grew up in a household where you never went out to eat. Like yeah. you, you only cooked and you didn't buy prepared food at the at the store. Um, you know, her mom grew up in post-war Germany, so she was basically like the version of our post-depression grandparents, right? Like, yeah. you know, no waste. Like, why would I pay seven cents, you know, more for this can of corn if I could drive 10 miles across town where it's on sale? You know, that kind of, sure. that kind of mentality. Um, and... You know, at the time, I thought it was kind of, you know, kind of kitschy, like funny. Um, but now I realize, like, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. And Lisa got all these tools to to like learn how to cook at a really young age, which is uh, basically where I've acquired my knowledge from, kind of osmosis, uh, and has been awesome for real myself, but also our kids. But yeah, uh, you know, I think when Ross was on the show with Doc Sidner. Um, and being out of the butcher shop, one of the things that he's talked about, like he's always like, man, there's three ways to cook meat. You know, like there's 150 different cuts of steak that we can pull out of a cow, um, plus, you know, whatever you're pulling out of a pig. But basically it's like grilling, roasting, and like braising. Yep. And everything comes down to those kind of three techniques. And if you can understand like what type of meat you're working with and like what the best way to cook it is, like you can cook anything. And it can taste really good. And I think the same thing kind of comes down to like most carbs and starches and like vegetables as well, right? Like mm -hmm. especially the vegetables, I think, translate really well over to meat in the same way. It's like, you know, some vegetables you want to like roast or grill. Others, you know, you can cook in like some kind of like liquid. Um, yeah. And others. There's this fantastic book called The Food Lab. It's written by mm -hmm. Kenji Alt-Lopez. And... It has this basically the section on vegetables, and it talks about the different ways to cook vegetables, whether it's uh, sautéing, steaming, roasting, braising. Uh, I think there's one other, but he has this big chart, and it's every vegetable conceivable, and then what those vegetables will stand up to. So yep. if you bring a vegetable home, like I've done it multiple times, like this is gonna sound like for some people this is a, a staple of their diet, not me, but I bought bok choy, like. I love bok choy. I bought it like six months ago or something. I'd never cooked bok choy, bok choy in my house. So what did you do with it? Um, I ended up like sauteing it and then braising it. Yeah, it's like kind of stir fry. Yeah, like well, I sauteed it, get it some brown, and then I like threw some wine and some stock in there to like kind of steam it, braise it, and put the lid on, and then took it off and softened it a little bit. Whole thing was super fast, but I just went down the list and it was like it will take this sort of cooking method. I was like, right on, you know. And then just did it, and my wife loved it, and. That was that. Yeah. I was introduced by, to bok choy, and this is something I think was really a cool thing to do, and I, I would recommend to everyone. Um, you, know, you go to a farmer's market, and uh, some of the farms that go to go to the farmer's market will do these things called CSA, like Community Supported Agriculture. And basically, you pay up front for like a weekly subscription You know, over X amount of time. It could be... You know, it could be a month, it could be four or five months, um, you know, maybe for the entire kind of like produce growing season. Sure. And every week, you know, you get a box of stuff. And there's like no better way, especially with produce, to be like, 
hey, here's this here's this giant box of stuff that you paid for. You know, you can either feel like an idiot and like throw it out or throw it in a compost pile or figure out what to do with it. And every week there was something, oftentimes more than one thing, that either I've never seen in the grocery store, maybe because I haven't paid attention. Yeah. You know, or it's like a little more uncommon. Um, or I have seen in the grocery store and never, ever, ever have I walked by it and been like, oh, I should figure out how to cook with that. Yeah, fair enough. So that was a really cool way to kind of like force that hand. Um, that's how we started cooking with bok choy. So well, I've since I've, I've since over the past few years tried to kind of go around and eating a lot of cabbages and like uh, broccoli rabe or a pini. It's things you see all the time. It's like who buys? There's this one at the Harris Theater I go to. There's this one section that's probably 15 feet long of stuff that I very rarely buy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where like the kale is, the collard greens, the mustard greens, all of like literally the best stuff in the whole place for you is that. And so I've been trying to every time I go like grab something new from there and go prepare it. And sometimes it's a miss. Sometimes I'm like, eh, not really, not really into that. And then other things like old favorites, when you're going back to the different cooking methods, um, my mother was a steamer. She steamed vegetables. And certain vegetables are delicious steamed. Broccoli, I think, is delicious steamed. Yeah. Yeah. Certain vegetables are disgusting steamed. Stuff that turns to mush. Broccoli or Brussels sprouts and cauliflower, I think, are terrible steamed. Yeah. But cauliflower roasted and Brussels sprouts roasted are yep. delicious. Yeah. And I had never tasted I didn't I always thought I didn't like Brussels sprouts because when you steam them, especially when you oversteam them, they get really bitter. Yep. Like all these bitter the compounds sulfury come out. stuff yeah, kind of yeah. yeah. Just like, ugh, well no. But then you know you roast them and they and the cauliflower the cauliflower gets all these amazing sugars kind of caramelize and it gets super sweet and um yeah, man. Like, that's the other thing about the different cooking methods is I think sometimes people eat a food prepared a certain way and they don't like it and they're like, well, I just don't like that food. They yep. don't identify the cooking method as, as the culprit. Totally, man. We had bro- uh, Brussels sprouts last night roasted with uh, hot honey. So we've mm-hmm. got like, you know, the honey that's got like the chili pepper kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, soaked in it or whatever. And, uh, yeah, man, just squeeze a little bit on beforehand, like a little extra at the end, and gives you kind of that, like, you know, sweet and savory balance uh, with a little bit of spice. That sounds so good. Yeah, actually, I did some not too long ago with a little of that Sicilian lemon white balsamic vinegar that you turned me on to. Oh, yeah. Mixed with a little uh, sambal olek, you know, like chili, chili hot pepper. Mix that together and toss the Brussels in there. Brussels, you can't go wrong, man. You add, you, once they're done, just yeah, pile it on. The vinegar, it's interesting. We uh, we had a mix up. You know, the vinegar we we buy this like bougie vinegar and olive oil from like the local olive oil store, and uh, they they're come a in, purveyor. They're not a store. Right, when they're that bougie, they're a purveyor. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, <clears throat> we accidentally put white balsamic on some asparagus before roasting it. Yeah. Dude, it turned like cement hard. Really? Um, yeah, I'm like really curious now. What the chemical the, reaction was? Yeah, like what's the science behind this? Was it the heat? Was it just the vinegar? Huh. You know, like what was it? But it was, the asparagus was harder than it was like raw after yeah. being in the oven for that's 20 crazy. minutes. No, that's crazy. Like, that's like one of those things that was, um, I can't remember where, where I, who told me, but one of the kind of definitive cooking lessons I learned was that Certain things do, like especially salt and vinegars, do chemical things yep. to food and acids primarily. And so if you're adding those things, when you add them is dictated by what outcome you're trying to get. Are you trying to change the flavor with this ingredient? Well, then add it at the end. Are you trying to change the physical properties of what you're cooking with this ingredient? Well, then add it at the beginning or whenever. You know, for the longest time, I could not... My... Um, uh, a friend of mine would do these wonderful sauteed mushrooms, mm-hmm. you know, like just quarter up, you know, white mushrooms and saute them. And I'm sure you've done it where it's, they reduce down, you know, all the water comes out and then they start getting just super savory, almost like bacon, you know, and you really cook them down and get all that, that umami flavor going. And I could never pull it off. I could not figure out what was wrong. And the, what was wrong was I was adding salt in the beginning. You know, I'd throw salt in there and all of the, the osmotic things would go on and it would pull it all out and just mess the whole thing up. Yeah. Whereas he would do it and save the salt to the very end 
And then you had these awesome crystals of kosher salt stuck to these like little crispy flavor things. And it was awesome. But but just that addition screwed me up for years. I was like, well, I just can't do it. Same thing Seems with like such a little, little thing, right? Oh, yeah. It just dramatically changes the way that the food works. And so I think that a lot of like understanding those things is uh, there's like there's recipes that I read sometimes that just by reading them, I can tell that they're going to be wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. Like somebody, a professional chef, like in the back of a, you know, whatever magazine, there's this recipe. My father-in-law loves to cut those out and like hand it to me and be like, man, this looks really good. And I'll look through it and there's steps that are wrong, right? Like add the salt now and now you're going to saute the onions, you know, and you're like, no, that's not going to, it's not going to work. But the professional chef that cooked it for the photograph, he did it right. You know, like yeah. he knew right. the deal. So he cooked it right. And here's this beautiful presentation. But if you cooked at the steps that they had listed, because no one else was cooking it, right? Like it's in the back of some magazine. They just bought yeah. it, you know. So those are the sorts of things that really shake people's confidence, right? You, you, you cook a recipe you find and it doesn't turn out the way you want it to. And then yeah, you're like, and you think oh, I, I just can't do I'm this, just right? I'm a bad yeah. cook. Yeah. Like, well, no, he just, they're stupid and, and you don't understand the, the basic. Sure. Steps. So the question is like, how do you get to understand that? And, and specifically I wanted to ask Brooke, like, you know, <clears throat> when I'm looking at the, the recipes in the nutrition program and I'm going to the grocery store and the recipe calls for like a certain type of produce, um, which I think is for most people like more daunting of a swap than, Oh, instead of using, you know, ground beef, I'm going to use, you know, like ground venison or you know, ground, turkey, this, yeah. ground turkey or, you know, instead of the steak and cook this pork chop, like the protein, I feel like is a little easier to swap. Um, but, you know, with, with the produce specifically, you know, like what's the resource people can go to or how do people learn as far as, you know, if I want to swap something out and not be worried about totally throwing the recipe off, you know, what do I, what do I do? to kind of choose differently. Yeah. I will see. I learned so much from trial and error that it's like almost hard for me to say like, this is the way. Sure. Um, but I think that if you read the recipe first, that you can have an idea of like where you're going with the flavor profile and how you're cooking the vegetables. Mm-hmm. You'll be able to understand how to like swap them in and out kind of. Maybe we need to come up with a list. Like kind of like what he was talking about of like cooking and swaps. Kind almost of? Yeah. Like, a, uh, like a category list, you know, like. Like an like a, the exercise substitution almost. Yeah. It's like you could swap this out for this. You know, what if you had like a group of like, you know, like roasting, kind of like braising and like grilling slash like sauteing vegetables. Yeah. If you find one that you don't like, it's like in one of those categories. You can just look at the other ones in the category. Exactly. And like swap it out for something like that. I like this idea. We'll have to one. make that happen. Yeah, once like like we said, man, the cooking method is is king. I've been doing these um, spaghetti squash bowls for oh, my yeah. wife recently, and so and I don't like I, I again I'm not really a spaghetti squash person, but um, or have never been. But I started cooking it about a year ago because it's awesome. You know, it's got really nice texture. And Some it's super people easy. react really poorly to nightshades. Oh, do like they? The the entire squash family. Oh, okay. But well, n- I'm not one of those people. And well, you just don't like the taste. They're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and if they're eating my house, they can go hungry. But um, so my wife works in long shifts, and so I like to make her lunches. Or it, if I make a dinner, I want it to be like lunchable, you know. And so I just do it. I've been doing like burrito bowls, and I last night I did a pad thai bowl. You know, just in, basically cook the squash, pull the innards out, and then get the walk out and make a pad thai base and then throw the spaghetti squash that I scooped out in there and then just stuff it all back in mm-hmm. the bowl, you know, like the bowl made from the shell. And they're great. Like, but the, the point is, is like I didn't have a recipe. You know, I don't know. Like I was like, I know kind of how to make pad thai and I know the flavors. So I went to the store and got like pepper and this and that, crush up some peanuts, sure. put it on top. But you had to have cooked pad thai a number of times first. And know how to cook the squash. Well, I just I knew how to cook the squash. I've literally cooked pad thai one time, right? Because I feel like the the I did not use a base that I made myself. I had mm-hmm. I had like pad thai sauce, which is the hard part, right? Like yep. is making the fish sauce and all. And it's not even that hard. Pad thai is pretty 
pretty straightforward. It's got fish sauce and some other things, but I just bought like the little pad thai deal, but I knew the flavors that I personally wanted and my wife likes. I walked them, so I just sauteed them, poured in the sauce at the end because I, again, didn't want it to physically change the properties of the food. I just yep. wanted the flavor, so I added it at the end. Then I tossed in the spaghetti squash and dumped it back in, and then I topped it with, there's almost no fat in that at all. You know, I used a little bit of oil in the... Uh, in the saute, but there's almost no fat and you need something to give it some mouthfeel. Well, I think that's, uh, so I, I put on some, what? No, go ahead. I was just going to say, I put like sour cream on top because that's literally what I had in my thing. The fish sauce reminded me, you know, like the, I don't know if it's like Japanese or the, you know, the concept of umami. Yeah. The sixth flavor, the sixth flavor. Right. And that's not something that I feel like we kind of ever really talk about or certainly I never, really heard about the miracles um, of glutamate yeah right um but i mean you have that kind of uh i mean you know like fish sauce i think some like really good soy sauces are vegemite the, yeah the types of things that you know are really flexible and you gotta kind of just sometimes like loosen the boundaries and you know throw some soy sauce in with something even if it doesn't seem like it needs soy sauce sometimes yeah. it's like man that little kind of uh you know, salty kind of umami profile really just brings everything together. Well, it's like Thomas Keller talks about how there's there's spices that you have in your spice rack that impart flavor, and then there's spices that you have in your spice rack that change flavor. They change the basic flavor of what you're cooking. Salt is, of course, the, the main one of those. You know, you can over-salt and you will be tasting saltiness, but if you apply salt to meat, it fundamentally changes the way the meat tastes to yep. you. Uh, and it does chemical things like we discussed before. Acids, most of the acids, especially the like more neutral acids like white vinegar, lemon juice, stuff like that. Again, you don't taste it, you're, but it changes the flavor the way that your your tongue well, perceives at, the flavor. Look at ceviche, right? Yeah, it's like entirely, it's basically cooked in, in acid. Vinegar. Yeah, like and um, uh, the same thing with uh, you know the, is, the that glu- a, is that a base? <clears throat> what do you mean? Ceviche. Is that cooked in acid or is that a base? No, it's by acid. But, um, and same thing with, uh, the umami, the, the savory stuff. Like, um, I make a, and I, I got the recipe, but I've since modified it, a a red sauce, like a, I feel like I got a Google umami here. Spaghetti. So we can give everyone like a, a hearty definition that makes sense. It, um, but I add anchovies to it. It's all vegetable, but at the end, I add some anchovies that are crushed up. And the anchovies, there's no meat in it other than those anchovies, but it gives it this like very meaty, like full flavor that definitely is, is different. And I've like done the Pepsi challenge and serve people, serve people with and without. Yeah. And, um, cause I add it right at the very end. Again, it's about flavor. It's not about changing anything. So I add it at the end and let it cook in and I'll just take a scoop before and take a scoop after and people will try it and be like, it's just slightly different, but it's better, you know? And those sort of the, when you're, when you start really getting into cooking, like having those little flavors and you start to be able to recognize, um, what's missing, you know, like yeah. in, in stuff as you're cooking, the fl- we're, we're kind of moving subjects a little bit. There's another book that's extremely good by a, a woman that was essentially a protege of Alice Waters at Chez Panisse, but it's called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Mm-hmm. It was recommended to me by Ross. And that's it, right? Like the idea behind the book is those, that's the important stuff when it, like applying heat, applying salt properly is huge. And most people dramatically undersalt or they oversalt because they're using iodized salt and it's really easy to oversalt with that just because of the texture. But, and then having the proper amount of fat, having an acid, if you're eating something and something feels like it's missing and it has the proper amount of salt, it's always acid. It's always like you need to add lemon juice or a little dash of sherry vinegar or something and that's going to make it right. And then, and then heat, you know, cooking it properly. But you get those down and uh, you can you get the cooking methods down and you get the flavoring methods down and there's not it's not complicated it's really straightforward you can make just about anything you want you can go yep. to the store you can craft a recipe and have a terrific dinner like every especially night. for healthy food right oh yeah I mean, you're talking about <clears throat> like simple unprocessed foods and pretty much for 
between vegetables and proteins again, you know, like roasting, grilling slash sauteing and braising, which is just like cooking in liquid. And then even with simple carbs, I mean, most of that stuff, I'm trying to think like basically just requires water, you know? Oh, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and the more common, <clears throat> unless it's, unless it's ethnic cuisine, unless it's like Indian or something where it has these very dramatic, very complex flavors, I rarely put more than like four things in a, in a dish. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's always cause I, and cause there's simple variables and I can control. And so if it doesn't quite taste the way I want it to I can add a little bit more of this or take a little bit more of this away. It's like vinegar or, or it's like dressing salad dressing. In the past couple of years, I got to the point where I, I just make every salad dressing and it's always a little bit different. I'm always, you know, I'm not measuring anything out, but mm-hmm. I'll try different vinegars or I'll try different acids or like, Oh, you know, like I think that maybe for an acid I'll use Dijon mustard or, you know, something else. But you, once you get the, the idea of the emulsification and the ratios that you're looking for of fat to acid in a, in a vinaigrette, you can go crazy. But if I add like, six things, it's always effed up. It's yeah. always fucked up. It's never, you know, cause it's like, Oh man, crap. It's too sweet or it's too acidic. Like, what do I add now to like bring it in balance and I can never balance it out. No, nah, simplicity is always the key. But if I got yeah. three or four things, then I can, I can monkey with it. I can figure out what, yeah, I think the same problem. thing goes with like having just some, you know, some taste spices. Um, there was a store in Chicago called the spice house that I think it was pretty awesome. And they have everything under the sun and every once in a while, you know, we're whenever I'm like restocking something basic from there, I'm always like, oh, I'm going to like, let's try something new. And sometimes it doesn't work out, but sometimes, you know, it's like every time we cook fish or, you know, or meat or vegetables, it's like, all right, you know, let's try this, like some weird spice I've never heard of. Sometimes it's little disappointing but other times you know that's like the one thing that's needed to take like a very simple dish and like just make it super flavorful and for most of that stuff you don't like a little bit goes a long way too so for uh, sure but in any event um i don't know i feel like uh we're definitely gonna have to put the sheet together as far as like like swapping out vegetables um i also think that we're going to do some videos with Left Bank as well in the future on the major, yeah. uh, well, with Ross, with the uh, the different cooking methods for proteins for sure, seeing that they're a butcher shop. Right. But we'll probably do a smaller series with vegetables as well, just yeah. to give people like a uh, quick primer. Ross, Ross loves to cook, and I mean... Ross's, Ross's tongue, like his flavor... Uh, you know his palate. His palate. I, I don't even want to say palate. Like his, because palate to me is about, um, like your own personal taste. But right. I, mean, I guess that's what it's at. But his ability, it's like an like the, it's like an artist, right? That can draw really well. It's like I can see, I can see in my mind the same thing they can, but they can actually make it into mm-hmm. like a picture on the page. That's how I feel about him with a lot of the charcuterie and sausages they do is like he like envisions the way something should taste and he can execute it and make yeah. it happen. And, well, it's, and, it, and his palate is fantastic. And like very so, rarely have I eaten something that he's made that I've been like, wow. There's a lot of experience there, you know, and I think, oh, yeah. um, I don't know, one of the things with the butcher shop, it's really easy to overlook like how many steps go into making a lot of the the products that we think are really simple. Um especially like a lot of the deli meats or some of the, even the simple charcuterie or things like bacon, you know, it's like, man, that might be like a six day process and Ross has to be, you know, like there might be eight steps in that six day process. Ross needs to be able to, you know, at step number one, say, is this still going in the right direction? Then every step from there, be able to check it. Oftentimes that's like through some type of taste. Yeah. And so, you know, you do that enough you mess up enough products, like you get really good at it, you know, yeah. kind of figuring out where you need to start from. So, well, I was talking to my, well, my, my wife is, uh, she's a great cook, but she's not technically great, but she doesn't have confidence. So she's always asking the wrong questions when she asks, like she, when she, when I cook a dish and she wants to know how to cook it, she asks questions about like spe- specificity of the amounts of ingredients and like, how much of this did you use and how much of that? And those are the wrong questions. Cause like, mm. that's up to you. The, the question is, is like, 
what did you choose? To, how did you choose to prepare this? What order did you cook the vegetables? Because that's a big part of like you doing multi veg. Like if you're cooking five different vegetables, knowing basically what's going to cook the fastest, what's going to cook the slowest, so it's all cooked in the pan at the same time. And that's more of just a um, experience thing, you know. As you yep. you cook it, you know that onions are going to take the longest, and the this garlic is going to take the shortest or whatever. You don't mess up the onion thing more than once. No. <laughs> no scraping burnt pans, man. Uh, or just having, you know, like raw, crunchy onions oh. in a dish where they don't belong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You make that mistake one time. and But um, she, yeah, she's, she's getting a lot better. But. I guess it's really time and temperature that matters. And then it's like, you can put however much, and a lot of times you can switch it in and out and figure out the ingredients. It's more yeah. like the combination, yeah. certain combinations you need to know of the acid, heat, fat, time stuff. Yep. Well, just in, in its feel, you know, that's where the kind of the experience comes in. It's not feel that, like, so I, I rely heavily on a thermometer when I cook proteins. Mm -hmm. Like I have a nice bougie thermopen thermometer that was I like cannot recommend those enough yeah i don't use one at all oh my gosh i cannot cook without one i can't i mean i literally bring this sounds ridiculously pretentious but if we're going on like a, a trip i'll bring one with me i know i'm gonna cook i'll bring one with i don't me think that's pretentious man i'll bring it with me in my briefcase dude we'll bring pans and stuff with us like i don't want to cook we've been to so many like airbnb houses where the pans there are these like scratched up those super flimsy non-stick non with the coating like, rubbed off yeah i'm just like man like you you know you cook eggs and there's like black flakes coming up from like yeah. the the non-stick coating i'm like man like first of all i don't want that shit in my body yeah you know i don't want that shit in my kids bodies like no i spent I, I at one time we were somewhere and i went to walmart and spent ten dollars on like a lodge cast iron yeah thing i was like no nah, man we've got a knife roll that like we'll travel with because the same thing you know like yeah not do knives oh my god but yeah we could do a whole episode on on yeah, knives, man. no, we've got our little, you know, travel, travel kitchen. But yeah, kit. so the thermopen though <laughs> is like, or just any thermo any good thermometer, like knowing, removing the guesswork, removed, raised my confidence dramatically on all proteins, especially on the grill, especially you don't end up cooking the shit out of stuff. Yeah, well, you know, you know and, and <laughs> it it felt to me like this voodoo science, right? Like. Yo, well, you've got to like if you press your palm, it's like medium rare, and if you press this part of your hand, it's medium. And like, like mm -mm. humans don't have that sort of um, objective analysis about touch, right? That no, like man. we have about it's, our eyes. I get, I get those analogies, but it's also it's like everything else. Once you've done it long enough, it's really easy to kind of like just by feel, you know, okay, like this feels, but that feels also different. Are you cooking? you know, a two inch thick, like, Oh yeah. You know, bone in ribeye or are you cooking like a boneless pork chop? Well, or the, like, the guy you know. that came up with this palm system or whatever other system was a dude that was like a grill chef at a steakhouse. Yeah. So, so people listened to him, but he cooked thousands of steaks on the exact same grill at the exact same heat, the exact same thickness forever. And yeah, like what the, his rule of thumb worked exactly right for, the dude at Peter Luger or wherever. But yeah, at my house, like I'm getting constantly different thicknesses and my grill is not like perfectly, um, you know, the, the heat isn't perfectly even. It's always a little bit different. So yeah, having the meat thermometer is, is super clutch. Maybe that needs to be my next like kitchen tool definitely, investment. Definitely should. And it, I mean, a good one will last forever. Yeah. You know, replace the battery and take care of the probe. So. Nothing else, like literally I could throw away everything in my kitchen except for a decent chef's knife, a decent like three-quart skillet, whether it's cast iron or whatever, and a meat thermometer. Yeah. Everything else is basically just like ease of use. But I could cook anything with those things, yeah. a lidded skillet. So, <clears throat> Brooke, you know, for people that are following the nutrition program and are cooking the recipes week to week – you know, where do you recommend that they get started? Like until we put this list together, as far as if they want to get more comfortable with kind of like swapping a few things out here and there to kind of, you know, personalize recipe lists, what, you know, what's the best step to take and what's the best step for them to take as far as 
starting to kind of figure out what categories things go into. Is it just an experience thing of like cooking, cooking enough or, um, you know, do you know, I feel like I'm putting you on the spot here, but <clears throat> do you know if there's a place like, is there a book or, you know, something online that, that you found that you'd recommend people check out? Well, I use the food lab book too. Mm. And that's the one with the chart. That's really awesome. Um, but then I guess if, if you don't want to invest in like a, a fancy book, you can just think of it as also like groups or families of vegetables. Like you have all the potatoes and like some people really don't like russet potatoes for the most part. I don't, but they're cheap. Mm -hmm. So just like you can just do simple swaps like that or like the peppers family or fruits are pretty easy. I think like in and out. Yeah. Um, online I, there, I'm sure there's plenty of great recipes. And when it comes to cooking stuff, it's like, you can probably give a test online. It's not like trying to go sure. like find yourself the best diet plan online where it can be <clears> kind of <throat> sketchy, but I think with cooking, I'm sure there is, but I've just done a lot of trial and error and, um, invested in books. Like the food lab is awesome. Yeah. Well, I see, I do think, you know, on the book front people, at least I feel like people that I know, have often gone too far. They're like, they want to, they want to get a book. They want to learn about stuff and they end up buying, you know, like a Thomas Keller cookbook or something from like one of these famous chefs. Those that, are for the coffee table, man. Those are for the <laughs> coffee table or I feel like for other chefs, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. But and, like, yeah, mm -hmm. man, I would say I don't buy cookbooks. If no. you want to learn to cook, don't buy a cookbook. Exactly. Buy a book that explains the basics of like the salt, fat, heat. What was that called? Salt, fat, acid, heat. Yeah, yep. yeah, that's a Food fantastic lab. book, and it's narrative. The, and the, the River Cottage books, I think, are pretty fantastic yes. as well. The only like book from a like a like a name brand chef I've ever bought that I really liked was the Momofuku Ko book from David Chang, but mostly because it's narrative. A lot of it's just interesting about the story, but he does get into the science behind. Like here's here's a story regarding like how I came up with this recipe and like we kind of hap happened upon it because we had this extra thing and we needed to use it. But like he's a ramen dude, right? Like every recipe in there takes forever. Yeah. You know, it's like the first thing you're going to do is roast these bones for 12 hours <laughs> at a perfectly controlled thing. And then you're going to boil them for seven days. You know, like I, I don't, nothing in that book. There's two things in that book that I've actually been able to replicate in my house. One of which is a ginger scallion sauce. It's like, amazing yeah but it's but it's just like chopping up ginger and scallions and and he's got some quick pickle techniques again sort of like the food lab where it's like here's the technique here's how to quick pickle stuff it's basically like sugar and salt and here's the vegetables i've used it on with success knock yourself out yeah. you know so but yeah definitely don't buy the uh the wolfgang puck book and expect to be like cooking that stuff right it's a, it's a bridge too far. No doubt. Well, we'll work on these lists and uh, get filming again at the butcher shop. <laughs> I think yeah. Ross is going to come back out for a podcast pretty soon. I hope. You need to get Doc so, out here too. I know. I need to coordinate with him. I think he might be back in Montana for a bit. Now that, As he does. Yeah. He likes it out there. Well, so, he's right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll get Doc out and... We got to get Eliza McLean from Cane Creek Farm out as well. She's yeah. uh, super interesting. She's like the pig whisperer, man. She is, man. I mean, she's uh, she's more famous than all of us. She's wow. been on New York Times. I can't even probably count on one hand how often she's been featured in national news articles. So she's doing something pretty special out there. But we'll talk to her soon for everyone out there. Uh, good luck cooking. Hopefully this was somewhat knowledgeable. Yeah. And, uh, or knowledge imparting, I guess not knowledgeable, but if yeah. anybody, I cannot recommend, I know they're expensive, but like those two books that we mentioned, the food lab and salt, fat, acid, heat a friend of mine once said like, I'll double, I'll, I'll contemplate every purchase except for books, you know, that yeah. are going to like bring me forward. Cause you, you'll get an enormous amount of utility out of that sort of stuff. Yeah. So thanks again for joining us. We will talk to you again next week. Wait a minute, man. You never told the story. That's right. I didn't get to the story. Story. So, story. You can't my, sign us off. Right? This is my cooking story. Um, it's not even really my cooking story. Back in my former life, back in the Wall Street days, a friend and uh, former colleague of mine from a long time ago, he had a customer in the equity derivatives market who worked for a French bank younger guy and uh 
there were some these products in Europe that were very popular that that relied heavily on U.S. equity derivatives, which is not very interesting. But these banks had a lot of business in this one market to support this kind of like retail bank product that they sold in Western Europe. And so this colleague of mine would go to do basically like a European roadshow every year, like go see his, his customers in Amsterdam, go see his customers in France. A lot of them were Paris-based. And a lot of the customers that he had were these kind of like younger execution type guys. They weren't really like big decision makers, but they were just people kind of involved in like the the giant machine turning the gears to like crank out basically these like retail banking products. And uh, to explain that, what I'm talking about is like in Europe, you could go into your neighborhood bank in the same way that you would buy like a you know certificate of deposit, if that's even a thing anymore. Um, you know, you could buy these kind of like savings products. And uh, he hated going to Europe because it basically meant going to like these like all night club. You know, it's like he's in his, his mid to late 30s. And every time he goes to Europe to hang out with his customers, it's like hanging out with these mid 20 year old guys, like just parting their faces off and like, you know, going out to clubs at like two in the morning. So, right. You know, there's a time when that was super fun. Uh, yeah, fair enough, man. Eventually it gets old. Yeah. So he has this French customer that calls him and says, hey, I'm coming to New York in a month. Like, let's get together. And he thinks this is fantastic. I don't. I'm not going to have to go see this guy, and he's coming to New York to visit a friend, so I can go see him. Fucking peel off. Those guys can go party. It's not like, you know, I'll like I'll check that box, and I'm not going to have to stay out all night. You know, partying with this guy. So as it gets closer, it's like you know, like a week out. He's touching base with this guy. What are we going to do? Where do you want to go to dinner? Like this guy's like, man. Why don't you come to my friend's apartment? He's French. Why don't you come to my friend's apartment? We do cooking and then we go out to a club. And he's like, all right, man, like that sounds cool. Like now he's like actually getting into it. And he's uh, know, like Italian American guy. So he's like grown up in like the big Italian family with like, you know, his grandma's making like all this awesome stuff. He's, he's actually, I think like a really good cook, kind of uh, traditional like northern Italian I've eaten at his house a few times and now he's kind of like getting into it right and he's like all right this guy's gonna come we're gonna cook a cool meal or someone's gonna cook a cool meal we're gonna sit in someone's apartment we don't even have to go out to like a pretentious dinner and then these guys are gonna go out to the club maybe I'll go with again I'm gonna like peel off I'm gonna be home in bed before like 10 o'clock so gets closer like hey man um you know, what's the plan? What can I bring? You know, like, what do you guys want to cook? Like, I'm happy to do the cooking. And, you know, this guy's like, hey, man, like, relax. Just come over. We go out to do some cooking. It's going to be fun. We're all going to hang out. Then we go to the club. So he's like, all right, man. You know, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like not going with the flow enough, you know, whatever. The day comes. It's like Friday. You know, it's like showing up to this dude's apartment Hey, man, like, what can I bring? I don't want to show up empty-handed, you know, whatever. So he's like, guy's getting kind of annoyed with them now. Like, oh, what is the big deal? You show up to the apartment, we do the <laughs> cooking, and then we go out. Like, he's like, all right, all right, cool. Like, I get it, whatever. So he leaves work. He's going to some random dude's apartment in Manhattan that, like, he's never met before that's, like, his, you know, French customer's buddy. And uh, he's thinking, all right, I got to bring something. I don't know, you know, I'm going to go to like, what is it, like Citarella in Manhattan. I'm going to like buy a couple steaks. What's the, the worst thing that happens is like I'm going to show up with a variety of food and we don't use all of it. This guy's buddy gets to keep it, you know, whatever. So he goes and buys like kind of variety of produce, like, you know, some salad, some vegetables, like some steaks, some fish, a couple bottles of nice wine. He's got like two bags of groceries. He shows up to this apartment you know, rings the doorbell, guy answers the door, sees him there holding these two fucking grocery bags and looks at him like he's got like a fucking giant penis like sticking out of his forehead, right? <laughs> and he's like, hey, uh, yeah, like is, you know, so-and-so here, let's call him Pierre, you know, the yeah. French customer is Pierre here. And the guy just like gives him this dirty look, you know, he's like, yeah, he's inside, hold on. Pierre comes to the door like, 
hey man, like what are you doing? What what's with the grocery bags? I don't know what what accent I'm doing right now. That was like <laughs> not really French, but I'm trying to whatever it is, it's offensive. Exactly, offensive <laughs> to someone. Um, and uh, he's like, man, I didn't want to show up empty-handed. He's like, show up empty-handed. Like, why the fuck would you bring groceries to someone's apartment? Like, that's so fucking weird. Bring, like, cigars or, you know, a bottle of whiskey or, you know, you have wine, but why would you show up to someone's house with, like, fucking groceries? It's, like, super fucking weird, right? And he's like, well, I just, I need, I felt like I wanted to bring something. You know, we're going to cook dinner together. He's like, cook dinner together? He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He's like, man, you said all week, like, that we were going to come hang out at the apartment and cook and then go out to the club. He's like, What? He's like, no, man. He's like, I said we're going to do cooking. And he points to this giant pile of fucking cocaine that's on the coffee table. Oh, my God. <laughs> I said we're going to do cooking and then go to the club, you asshole. He's like, uh, wow, I totally misunderstood what was happening here. And this is like exact opposite of what I thought was about to happen. Like, I was so happy. I'm going to go to this guy's apartment, going to cook dinner, fucking peel out. It's like, no, man, I'm sorry. This thing just <laughs> took a fucking hard 180-degree turn. That's hilarious. So anyway, never trust uh, never trust French, young French cooks, I guess. The story was worth it. Thanks. 